Thank you, Ron. Don't you appreciate the music we've had every service? Been beautiful. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms to number 73, Psalm 73. And you'll get more out of the message if you keep your Bible open. I'm not going to read the entire psalm, but the text comes really throughout the psalm. We're just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, I don't know if you were here last night, but uh, last night's message is still speaking to me. It's saying, uh, never do that again. <laughs> I'm telling you what, my legs are just saying, ouch. <laughs> my knee is saying, you're crushing me. I mean, it's just awful. But uh, I, uh, I'm so delighted to have the chance to speak and to share. And I'm going to share some things in this message that I just want to say at the outset are shared so that you'll know a little bit of the context and the story that, uh, out of which this uh, message comes. It's a personal message. Um, it is, I'm not sharing this to you, with you to arouse... Uh, uh, any uh, pity or sympathy. In fact, uh, I'm in as good a space right now as I've been in years. I'm so thankful for the way the Lord is helping me and sustaining me as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. Uh, I'm not saying this to you because I think that I am so unique that uh, uh, to astound you with that, I know that if we took time Every one of us has pain and sorrow in our lives that have challenged our faith. And if we took the time, uh, every family has a story and every uh, individual has this challenge. And that's the reason I'm bringing it up because uh, in our prayer service, uh, not this morning, but this morning before last, uh, Allie Spain, who is a childhood friend of my oldest daughter's and just love her, she uh, shared such a beautiful way with, uh, with courage, I thought, about uh, her journey in prayer life. And she made reference at the outset that uh, she felt intimidated, uh, my word, but uh, that uh, to speak in front of others about this issue because those that are up here, she said, are so close to perfect. And, uh, you know, everybody that's up here, uh, either inside shook their head no or grinned, knowing how far that is from the truth. Uh, and so I guess all of that together, I had kind of set this one aside, and I thought, you know, I think this is the message for this morning. I prayed about it, and I asked the Lord to guide me today, and I trust that uh, this will be a help to you, uh, maybe a few of you in a very uh, signaled way. Uh, Psalm 73, and let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read it together. I like to do that. This is the Word of God. Um, it is a different kind of Word than you find in other places of the Bible. We're just going to read the first two verses. Please keep your Bibles open so that you'll get the whole thing. Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Listen to the first words. Surely God is good. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Father, thank you for this word. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear it. Help us to hear it in its fullness and to the conclusion that brings hope. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach as only you enable any man or woman to preach with anointing and wisdom from on high. Lord, uh, the gospel, we want to hear good news today. Lord, we pray that you would just come. Lord, we know that if anything good happens this morning, it'll be because you did it, because you are the principal agent of ministry. You are the one that's working, and we are simply the vessels. We ask, Lord, that you would move among us and speak to our hearts and help us and move us forward this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just a little background uh, I pick it up in the, uh, a little bit in the middle, but uh, Sheila and I have been married 27 years, and she has been ill for 23 of those years, mostly. Not always the same level of intensity. Not always, sometimes some little breaks in there, and, and I want to tell you, since we had anointed for her uh, here at the altars, she's had better days in the last few days than uh, she's had in, in quite some, in several weeks. And I'm thankful for that. That's an answer to prayer. I'd like to attribute that to the anointing and not the fact that I'm out of town. I would like to think that the, God is answering prayer, and I do think that he's answering prayer. But you know, going back there, uh, she was pregnant with our third uh, uh, child, our youngest child, and uh, she developed an appendicitis, seven months pregnant. They had to take that appendix out. She was in the hospital for a couple of months off and on during that period, had a couple of other surgeries. The baby was born healthy. They told us that the baby might not survive what we were going through, but Hannah has been a healthy baby all the way through, just graduated from Point Loma this last year. I mean, what a tremendous answer to prayer, but what a difficult task it was bringing her into the world. It seemed like from that point forward, we watched the World Series every year in the fall in the hospital rooms. Every year we'd watch that, uh, it would just say, so we'd be in the hospital, he'd say, here we are again. It seemed as though she stayed in just about every room in the hospital. We were on a first name basis with all the hospital staff, both in Springfield and in, ultimately later uh, in uh, Marysville as well. And uh, it, uh, it, it uh, came to the place at one point where she she uh, had a ruptured intestine and filled with peritonitis and nearly passed away and, and then was in the hospital again. And I had three small children that were just an infant and then two toddlers. And of course, uh, Anthony has his problems. And in the middle of all that, we discover that Anthony has a developmental disability. He's autistic. He's right in the center of the scale. I mean, if it's a spectrum disorder. Somebody says they're autistic. You really don't know what that means until you meet them. But he's right in the center. He's profoundly disabled. He has some communication. He'll never be able to live independently. He'll be totally dependent. In fact, he's He's uh, very, very much missing his dad this week because I take time with him every week to do some very special things because he just needs that kind of, kind of love and attention. In the middle of all that, as I mentioned the other night, uh, one of my brothers and my brother Dan, uh, he was, uh, went out on the streets and grieved our, 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 our mother and, and uh, she, uh, she said, I died a thousand deaths over that boy. 
Some people would say, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd leave home and, and then he'd come back a few months later. Nobody knew where he'd been and, and he'd been living on the street. He'd leave with a suit of clothes and a few dollars in his pocket and perhaps some of our possessions and, and would, would be gone. And then he'd come back with no shirt, no shoes, nothing, and uh, would be sick and he'd be nursed back to health. People would tell my mother, some well-meaning people, uh, people that probably cared about her interests, people that were not unsympathetic. But you know, after you watch this cycle for a while, they said to my mother, you know, if I was you, I think I would just kick him out and I don't think I'd take him back. To which my mother replied, you know, if he was your son, I would feel exactly the same way, but he's my son. And I can't. Well, he took his life. Sheila's health uh, continued to uh, be up and down. Eventually, had developed multiple sclerosis, uh, uh, more problems, abdominal surgeries. Once that cycle started, she ended up having surgery every every year or so for for quite a while. And then my uh, other brother. See, I had another brother that took his life, and uh, he was a totally different kind of situation. This one made six figures. This one was married and had two beautiful children. This one had an attractive uh, uh, wife uh, that loved him and kids that loved him. This one was in church. This one had given his life to the Lord. And this one had tremendous, uh, tremendous depression and anxiety disorder. And we didn't, you know, the first one we didn't see coming in a way, although we knew it probably wasn't going to end well with the drugs, but it, it still shocked us. With this one, we kind of knew it was coming. We sought all the help. We, he went to the hospital. I, I flew down to Texas and was with him repeatedly. Sometimes he would call me 10, 13, 15 times a day trying to find assurance. I would go down and spend time with him. We prayed with him. We, we saw psychiatrists and psychologists and pastors, and he was in a small group and all those things. But it seemed like nobody could really reach and offer help. Finally, one day, I was sitting in my office in Marysville, Ohio, and I received an email from him, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't take it anymore. And he was gone, and I was the last person to have talked with him. And it was devastating beyond belief. It was a, it was a difficult time. As a result of that, my mother's health never recovered, and she died prematurely from having a heart, uh, a pacemaker put in. You have a pacemaker put in, and that's typically not the cause of uh, death, but I don't think she wanted to live anymore. She would say, you know, when you have one that does something like that, you can probably explain it, but you can't explain it when there's two. She blamed herself. She's a tremendous mother. It was not her fault. And all this recently, now my wife has developed uh, brain cancer, and she's had all kinds of other problems. And, and then recently, just within the last few weeks, I told you, she fell and broke her shoulder right here. I, thought, I don't know what it was about that, but for uh, at least a time, uh, uh, different points along this journey, this scripture seemed to be one that was uh, relevant to me. But, but particularly, for whatever reason, on, uh, on the day that, uh, uh, the week that she broke her shoulder, it was almost like to me, this too, on top of everything else, really, 
I mean, I'm in the living room, I'm sitting there early in the morning, having a little bit of quiet time, and all of a sudden I hear this fall and this scream, and she's laying face down, and I don't know what's going to happen. She's absolutely in agony, screaming out of her head, and she ended up breaking her shoulder, which meant that she hasn't been able to do very much. It's healing now. It's going to heal. I thank the Lord for that. But then that same week, I had a friend of mine, I thought he was my friend, who contacted me by email asking me a theological question, knowing nothing about what was going on. He wanted me to do the impossible, which was to solve the problem of email in just a sentence, uh, email, solve the problem of email. (laughs) I'd like to solve that problem, to solve the problem of evil in a sentence or two through email. And every time I gave, trying to give him a, a little handle, thinking that he's a believer, thinking that he is just looking for some way, because I have, have experienced some of these things, some way to kind of grasp how it is that you can believe in God in spite of these things going on, he just dug in deeper and started attacking more until finally he said, there is no God. And then my aunt called, who loves me, and I love her, and she was meaning as an encouragement, but she's not a believer, so you have to kind of put it in that context. She said, I don't know, I never had much faith, she said, but watching what you guys go through, she said, I don't know how you can believe in a God. She said, I don't know how you can possibly believe in a God. Whatever faith I may have had, it just, it's, 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 it's taken it away. And, and, and on and on it goes. And then, this is, gonna, this is gonna sound humorous, but put it in the context of where your mind is. I'm driving down the road, and a vulture is flying off of a carcass. And I hit that vulture with my car, and it breaks off my side mirror on my car. I thought vultures, I thought birds would just fly out of the way. I mean, aren't they smart enough to get out of the way? This vulture went right in the way. And I hit this vulture on the highway going to town and broke the side mirror of the car. I thought, Lord, this is just ridiculous. And then I noticed that the side mirror was, you know, it was just kind of dangling by the cord. It was banging against the was banging against the car like this. I hope it killed that buzzard. <laughs> and, uh, and it's banging like this. And then I noticed this Cadillac Escalade driving by and the people going. And I noticed a sports car going like this. And uh, I was embarrassed. And then the scripture came to me. My foot almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I guess I had thought about it but pushed it aside, but it entered my mind. What if I slip? What if this relentlessness continues to assault me so much so that, that what my aunt says is true or this friend is what he says is true? What if, what if, what if the whole thing is, is, is something else and, and, and what if I don't survive? And I looked at this text and I saw in the Bible 
that the psalmist had come to that place where there was almost a fear and an anxiety where he said and he expresses it, I almost slipped. And he almost slipped because of the conflict of, between faith and what he saw, faith and sight. In verse one, uh, you'll see that surely God is good. That's the faith part. But what he saw was something else. As for me, my foot almost slipped. I merely lost, nearly lost my foothold when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, verse three. When I saw how healthy the wicked were, verse four. When I saw the attitudes of the wicked, verse six. How they scoffed and they made fun and they were arrogant. I saw how their, in verse nine, how their mouths laid claim to heaven, but their tongues took possession of the earth. I saw in verse 10, how people seem to follow after people who are successful and drink it in and just drink the Kool-Aid that, that success and material things is the all in all. It's the measure of what a successful life is. The wicked, he said, are carefree. They're prosperous. They're amassing wealth. And, and, and after all, uh, what, what, what is it getting me to know that God is good and to be a person of faith? I'm driving down the road with the mirror going like this, and a song comes to my mind. If it keeps on getting better, if it keeps on pouring it on. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's just sometimes those songs just almost mock us. The conflict between faith and sight. And it's not just personal. Because you look at the world in which we live, and, and despite what we, we sometimes w w would like for it to be, the truth is that their wicked many times are the most prosperous people. And many times the godly people many times do suffer, and that's nothing new. That's going on all over the world. You see, it was never really a crisis for me to know that. I knew that intellectually. Never really a crisis till these things happened to me. Now it's a crisis because I'm experiencing it. I know it not here, but I know it in a different kind of way. The difference between faith and sight. The second reason why this, this uh, anxiety and fear would come is the internal questions that arise in, in verses 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocent. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning seems to bring a new punishment. The psalmist is saying, man, it, maybe I've given my life to the Lord for nothing. I've kept my heart pure. I'm trying to do the right thing, but it hasn't worked out for me. I had a, I guess I had a little bit of a theology of uh, a, uh, a kind of a, uh, a triumphal theology that, that said, you know, no matter what happens, eventually God is going to come riding over the hill with the cavalry and he's going to rescue me every time. But the truth is that has not been my experience all the time. In fact, Sheila said, when we realized just where the condition our son was really in and, and was doing some of the things in one particular time that was a particularly grotesque and, and difficult thing that occurred in our home because of his condition, she sobbed and cried and she said, I told the Lord, Lord, I didn't do drugs. <laughs> she said, I, I've served you all my life from 12 years of age. She said, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke during pregnancy. 
Why is it that other young women in the church, we're the only ones that have this in our local church, and why is it others that are less careful about their lives seem to be able to have children and they're all seemingly healthy, trying to follow God's will? It's a, it's a conflict. The internal questions, am I serving in vain? You know, that might say, well, you might say, boy, he's scaring me. Is this guy even, oh, wait a minute, uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the Bible, Jesus said, John the Baptist, there was no one born of women greater than John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? Oh, John the Baptist, what a great man. My favorite preacher in the scriptures. I mean, other than Jesus, of course. I mean, I mean he's the favorite, he's my favorite figure in, in terms of just the way he preached. He hadn't read uh, the seeker-sensitive models or any of that stuff. He just let people have it. I love that about John the Baptist. John the Baptist just told the truth. And when he told the truth, it got him in trouble. And John the Baptist was put in prison. John the Baptist would eventually have an ISIS-like event, cut his head off. We read over that and we don't even think about it. We're so sanitized in our mind. But, but the reality is when we are absolutely overpowered by the, the heinous actions of ISIS against Christians in the Middle East, just remember in the New Testament, John the Baptist had his head severed and put on a platter and offered up as a gift. But before that happened, there must have been some lonely moments in that prison. There must have been some difficult times. After all, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, look, he said, there's coming one after me whose sandals I can't even untie. And he will not baptize you with water into repentance. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I mean, this is the one that is coming. The Messiah is here. John the Baptist identified him. He said, I'm not him. I'm just here to point the way to him. But now John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And it's not looking good. He sends an emissary out, a messenger to Jesus. Matthew eleven three, and says, these revealing words, this question, are you the one who is to come? <laughs> John the Baptist was preaching the word, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sends out an emissary from prison. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? That's a low point for John the Baptist. Jesus sends back the message, tell John. <laughs> tell John what you see and what you hear. <laughs> the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. <laughs> he says, the captives are released. He said, tell John what you see and hear. He was the one. But John the Baptist was struggling in the lonely questions and reflective questions of what it means to be in a space where it's not working out the way you planned. What accounted for this crisis, the conflict that's going on here? It's the conflict between the faith, God is good, and what he saw, which was all of this devastation, and the internal questions that arise when things are not working out as a person thought, and even the loneliness that comes with trying to hold it within and not disturb others. But here's the good news. 
But as for me, my feet almost slipped. (laughs) And I nearly lost my foothold. But folks, by the grace of God, I'm still standing. I'm still here. The anchor holds. Even though these thoughts go through our mind, even though there is concern, and and even though there's frustration and doubt and, and disappointment, let me tell you one thing. Almost is not a slip. We let him help us to keep our feet secure. And notice how he does that in this passage. Eternal perspective in verses 15 and 16 and 17. How does he come out of this? He says, if I had spoken out, uh, uh, you know, he might have just betrayed his children. He kept it to himself. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood there, that is, the wicked, their final destiny. And I realized that I'm the one on the solid ground and they're the ones on the slippery slope. It is the wicked and the materialist and the phonies of this world. According to verse 18, it uses another word. It says, surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. I'm not slipping. I may have almost felt like I almost was psychologically. But in truth, when the world comes uh, to its uh, uh, consummation, the material things of this world are going to become dust. They're going to be nothing. Position, power, prestige. All of those things so prized will be zero. And those who have faith in God will still be standing in his presence to enjoy him forevermore. These who have trusted him will realize that the true values are not the values that we see. In fact, the truth is when you wake up from a dream, sometimes you wake up and you're glad it's not true. Sometimes you wake up and you realize it is true. Perhaps when a person who hasn't trusted God and put all of their all of their energies and all of their efforts and all of they bet everything on the material world. What a revelation, what a sad day it'll be when they wake up from their slumber and realize that it was the material things that were the dream, and it is the eternal things that are the reality, after all. That dust is all around me. I, I uh, had a dream. I'm going to the Holy Land in a few weeks. Uh, I, I, if, the, if there's no war breaks out, and they, <laughs> you know, none of that happens. I mean, I, my intention is to go by the will of God. I had a dream. I'm going to be getting nervous about it. I had a dream. going to fly out of Chicago. Uh, on August 27th, and uh, I had a dream already while I've been here at this campground that I missed my flight and missed the whole trip. I woke up. I was glad it wasn't real. But one of these days, Lord willing, I'm going to wake up in the Israel, and it is going to be real. The reality is we have an eternal perspective. He says in verse Uh, an eternal perspective. Also, he lost perspective. Notice he says in verses 4, 5 through 12, all these things about the wicked. Did you know that that's all fake news? 
It's all fake news. Now, does that mean that they don't have material things? Of course they do, but it's dust and it's going to go away. But even if you consider the reality that, that we have in this life, it's still fake news. And here's the thing. When we are down and we're discouraged and things are happening to us, we lose perspective and we, real, we begin to see only certain things. We see the wicked who are wealthy. We see those who are healthy. We see the ones who are prospering. But the reality is, typically speaking, living, uh, living for God is going to buoy you and lift you in, in uh, standing and it's going to raise you up. And not living for God is typically going to drag you down and diminish your way of life. And, and, but it's looking at a few examples that deceive the many into thinking that that's somehow it is. That's, the way, that's one of the problems with Facebook. And I like Facebook. But you know, you take your picture on Facebook, get a little selfie, and then you put the camera down and then the real you're left with the real you. But only the world only sees you smiling in front of something that's fun, but they don't realize how much trouble you're in as a person. Or these television shows that they talk, they glorify certain ways of living, but what they don't show is all the downfall and the, and the terrible things that happen to that. We sometimes only see things, we lack the perspective that most people who aren't serving God are not prosperous. In fact, uh, recently, Anthony Bourdain, I have no judgment on him, I don't know where he's in heaven, or I'm not saying, that's not about that. But it is interesting to me that a guy who was dedicated and world famous, dedicated to having fun and world travel and, and, and entertaining other people, in his insides apparently was so empty that he couldn't go on living. I bring no judgment on him. I don't know what was going on in his mind. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying that, that when you saw him on television, you'd think, now there's a guy I'd like to be. Man, to have a job, travel around to Italy and eat exotic foods and go to Africa and, and go to Asia and, and just, just be constantly traveling and, and be wealthy and popular and entertaining. I mean, what a joy that would be. And inside, apparently, what we didn't know was Anthony Bourdain was literally dying, but he was showing himself to the world in one way, and on the inside, he was something else. We, lack, he, he, we didn't see that perspective. You know, uh, some people, one person, not just one person, many people have said, <laughs> they've said, and I, well, I mean, encouraging. This is encouraging, not, not discouraging, not meant that way. But they would say to me, after something has happened, boy, pastor, you remind me of Job. I'd say, oh, no. I don't have the boils yet. <laughs> I don't have the boils. You know, this nothing, it's nothing compared to that. I wouldn't compare anything I've gone through to what Job's gone through. I mean, that, there, that is in a totally another stratosphere. And besides that, I don't want to be Job. I don't want to be Job. But I'll tell you what character I would like to be. I wouldn't mind, if I have to go through stuff, I wouldn't want to be Job, but I wouldn't mind being Joseph. Think about it. Joseph was a man who had a signaled uh, blessing on his life, but, but his jealous brothers, when he was 17 years of age, sold him into slavery to traitors who carried him off to Egypt. I mean, what a terrible, you know, we would be on a psychiatrist's couch for the rest of our lives if our brothers, our families ever did that to us. But the Bible says God was with Joseph. 
Joseph was sold into Potiphar's house where he tried to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. He's presented with the wrong thing. He doesn't do the wrong thing. He does the right thing. And because he did the right thing, he's accused of doing the wrong thing. And because he has done the right thing, but is accused of doing the wrong thing, he's thrown into prison. And I'm telling you, if that happened to me, you'd have to give me a, we, we would have to be a psychiatrist, we need a psychiatrist the rest of our life. I mean, that's totally unfair. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. In the prison, there were various individuals he encountered, including the the cupbearer to the king and the baker and, and they had dreams and, and they wanted to know if anybody could interpret them and Joseph was able to interpret dreams and, and he did that for these men and he said, remember me when you get out and, and the cupbearer got out of prison because of Joseph. Joseph helped the cupbearer and the cupbearer was able to get out of prison and the cupbearer forgot Joseph and let him rot in prison. <laughs> you talk about unfair. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. The king had disturbing dreams. He, he had dreams that, that didn't seem to make any sense. These skinny cows and these fat cows and, and all this stuff. He couldn't make sense of it. Finally, he brings Joseph in. And Joseph has to tell him what the dream is. And Joseph tells him, tells him uh, uh, what it means. And Joseph ends up with half the responsibility, half the kingdom of Egypt. I mean, the Lord was with Joseph. His brothers, when the country was saved from starvation and the world was coming to Egypt for food, his brothers came to grovel at his feet, not knowing Joseph was still alive. And it was revealed that now Joseph is ruler of all Egypt. And these miserable brothers of his are now groveling at his feet, terrified what he might do in revenge. But the Lord <laughs> was with Joseph, and he said to them, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you, and I will provide for your children. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What I would like to say is, I'd like to be known as a guy who no matter what took place, God was with him. And even when bad things happen that might have caused other people to go the other way, he's, he's one who, when evil comes, what was meant for evil, God used for good. Well, I want to tell you, I'm not Joseph. I'm not Job. I'm just Paul. How did I survive? Some of the very things that were here. Claude and Jen Nicholas are here. And Claude uh, is an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene and was a pastor a friend of mine in Springfield, Ohio. He gave me a box of books. I love when preachers give you boxes of books. And in that box of books was a book by E. Stanley Jones, Power and Poise. 
I was reading that book during the most difficult time of my early ministry. I left to go on vacation with one intent, to resign my church and to quit the ministry, to leave Ohio behind and go back to Texas and find a secular employment. I was reading that devotional book, and this is what it said. I'm going to send you, reading the scriptures in the devotional book, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you're filled with power from on high. E. Stanley Jones took that up a piece and he said there may be theological reasons why it was stated that way, and there undoubtedly are many theological reasons, but from a psychological reason, E. Stanley Jones said, why did he tell him to stay in that city? Why stay in the city of Jerusalem? Why didn't he tell him, go to the wilderness and you'll receive the power from on high? Why didn't he say, go to a retreat center and receive power from on high? Why not go to Alexandria, Egypt? Why not go somewhere else? Get out of the line of fire. I mean, after all, Jerusalem is where the crucifixion took place. Jerusalem is where they all ran. Jerusalem is where there was betrayal. Jerusalem is where they denied they knew him. Jerusalem is where the rumors were. Jerusalem was where all this bad scene was. It was a nightmare. It was the worst thing. And yet Jesus had risen from the dead, but he was, he was going to go away, and they couldn't understand it. If you go away, we'll be by ourselves, and we'll be left here. He said, it's better for you if I go away. They didn't get it all. He said, stay in the city until you're filled with power. E. Stanley Jones said, why did he say that? Because it was the most difficult place he could have possibly stayed it was in that place where there was betrayal and hurt and pain and sorrow. And he said, if the Holy Spirit can keep you in the most difficult place, he can keep you any place. If the Holy Spirit could come and meet their need in Jerusalem, they would never have to worry again, no matter where they went in all the world. If the Holy Spirit could keep them, they would know that in the most difficult time of their lives that God could come, God could sustain them, and God could enable them. In that place, I realized that the power had to come from on high. I wasn't able to pull myself up from my own bootstraps and be smart enough and figure it out myself. I couldn't even depend necessarily, although I had a lot of support, I couldn't depend on somehow being supported by everybody else, that that somehow would keep me. What I needed was power from on high. And God said to my heart, if you'll just stay in the most difficult place, I'm not telling you you have to stay here forever, but just stay here until I prove you to you I can keep you in this place. And he did. And I'll never forget the day when I was in the service and when God came and they sang, the comforter has come. The comforter has come. And I realized he indeed had my foot almost slipped, but I was still standing. The grace and power of God was sufficient to keep me in the most difficult place in my life. And if he could keep me there, he could keep me any place. And so what I'm saying to you is that once he proved to me he could keep me in that place, 
Every additional place I've been has just been further underlining and underscoring the fact that God can keep you wherever you are. Whatever you're going through, whoever you are, God is on the throne. God has power and God will keep. Yes, in my own strength, I feel like I'm about ready to slip. But let me tell you, the only ones that are really on the slippery place are the ones who have not tapped in to the one who loves us and empowers us the way God does. I'm so thankful that when I read that passage of scripture, it was true to my mindset. I almost slipped, but it was almost, it was a matter of mine. I was really standing in a really secure, stable place, and every time he stabilized me, he got glory. That year when he came became the greatest year in the history of that church <laughs> in terms of the things that we look for in church. And it seems as though across the years that God has come in signaled ways in my ministry even and in the church when all kinds of other things seem to be going on the other way. I think it's because it is a demonstration that this power is not from us. We're just jars of clay, as we said. We, we aren't the ones doing it. It is God. And he is enough and sufficient. Shall we stand together? Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Lord, perhaps there are people here today who are going through difficult times of their own and wondering how they're going to make it, how they're going to be sustained, wondering why things seem to be so unfair. I pray, Lord, they would take courage today. They're in a good place. They're here at Camp Syker. They're under the preaching of the word. They have not slipped. They are here, and you will sustain them. And Lord, if we need to pray about that, of course, the altars are open, but the good news is you are here, and your presence is what keeps us. We're so thankful for that. We pray, Lord, that you bless us as we close this service. Draw us to yourself. If we have business to do with you, there's a place to pray. Lord, thank you for being our strength and shield. In Jesus' name, amen. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here.
my favorite spirituals goes something like this. I have seen the lightning flashing and I've heard the thunder roll. And I've seen sins, breakers, dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. For he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. He is here. I want us to sing just one more verse. If you want to come, there's no, there's no judgment here. It's just, would you like to close in prayer? Would you like to have a season? He is here on this grounds, and he is here for us personally. Let's come to him if God leads you. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Gracious God, we do not doubt your presence. We sing of it. We long for it. Lord, we know it. And yet we admit there are those times when we come close to wondering, Lord, where are you? Thank you for the assurance that you never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, we sing. He is here. He is here. Lord, because you are here, this is a safe place to respond. If there are still those who need to come, Lord, we pray they will come. Well, if we find ourselves this morning in a place where knowing your presence, we have that full assurance that confidence in you, not in ourselves, not in what we're able to do, not in our own strength, but wholly in you. Then, Lord, may we go in peace. May we go in the joy and the assurance of your sweet presence in every moment, in every situation, in every day of our lives. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.